0: Listening to Buy the Well, electionary-based podcast for preachers recorded on the land of the Wurundjeri people. I'm Robin Whittaker. And I'm Sally Douglas, and this is Christ the King Sunday, or the Reign of Christ Sunday. So we're going to have a look at all four readings. Ezekiel 34, 11 to 16, and then 20 to 24. Psalm 100. Ephesians 1, 15 to 23. And then Matthew 25, 31 to 46. Quite a famous passage. So we're going to start with Ezekiel, though.
1: We are. And this is one of those strange prophetic visionary text, probably on the uh, cusp of kind of moving into more apocalyptic in nature. Mm. So Ezekiel's a prophet who sees a lot of visions and he places himself in exile. So the context is quite important here, mm. is a context of being a people in exile in Babylon. So they're going um, through suffering, they've gone through yeah, trauma. Exactly. Uh, and so there is a lot of ways of trying to make sense of the Mm. trauma and suffering. Mm. And then at the very end of the book we get visions of uh, the rebuilding of the temple which is about what restoration might Mm. look like. Um, But here we're in a kind of – well, the first part of the reading at least is about false shepherds or bad leaders really –
0: that's right, and so there's this imagery that is a really important theme in the biblical text around God as shepherd or, and then as leaders as shepherds as well, and the care of the sheep, and it's mm. not been going well in this passage. No, no. so there's some quite specific
1: um, accusations that, that, that the people entrusted with the leadership of Israel have um, fed themselves, basically not the sheep. Yeah. They've become fat, you know. So there's greed going on here. uh There's neglect of the sick and the weak, which are constant biblical ethics yes, in the Old Testament. Exactly. Like they care for the orphan, the widow, the stranger, and they have forgotten all of that. I
0: think this is so important to underscore because still there's a re- this rhetoric around within the church and possibly beyond the church that the Old Testament is about an angry God and, or, mm. you know, just about law and the New Testament is about love, where the God's cry for the poor, for the vulnerable, for the marginalised is just this echo throughout the Old Testament and it's just such a, a fallacy to say that, that it's um, a God of wrath when it's this cry for compassion yeah. and mercy for the most vulnerable
1: yeah. I mean, I like verse four, there's just some beautiful, quite vivid language here. You have not bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strayed. So there's a sense of people have been scattered because of this trauma of the war mm. and the forced exile. And the leaders in the midst of that have failed at the basic kind of gathering of community or the caring for those who've been um, perhaps most affected
0: that's right so using their power for themselves Mm -hmm. rather than for others so a misuse of power and obviously for those familiar with the new testament there are already um echoes of how jesus's image is gathering in the lost as well like there's this kind of contrast yeah jesus
1: the mother hen and then also a shepherd Shepherd. imagery. yeah yeah yeah. absolutely Um, so you know we're obviously in the language of metaphor here Mm. this first section ends kind of with you know Sheep that are scattered it become food for wild animals, so mm. the precariousness of, of not having a community around you. There's all sorts of directions you could take that, I guess.
0: There are, and can I just underscore coming from a farming background? Oh, do you? Yes. Oh, good. You're
1: one of the rare, like, because yes. uh, most of us city dwellers. Yes,
0: grew up on a sheep farm indeed. Oh, Wow. Yep. And sheep are not stupid, like that kind of stereotype about sheep. We um had little – so if, if the mum died, we would look after the lambs in the yep. kitchen and bring them up. Oh. And we had these – some lambs who we named – we had them long enough that they um, knew us by name. That was Merino sheep not sheep for me, just point no, that out. Okay. But for years they knew us. Like when we were in the paddock, they would come out and look at us. They remembered us when they mm. were adults. So the sense of being known by name and of remembering was part of their reality and yeah. therefore our reality. So the imagery is not about um, being mindless sheep who need someone to boss them around. It's much more that vulnerability and the precarity of being a sheep. If there are wolves or foxes around, there yeah. are, there are uh, you're not safe. And so you need the shepherd – to guard you and protect you. So yes. that, that's where the sense of the imagery I mm. think that's really important in these biblical themes. Yeah, that's
1: really helpful. And you need the community, right? It's the pack of sheep yes. to help to keep each other safe. As soon as you're isolated, you're – yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So the thing that strikes me when we get to kind of verse 11 in particular is – God steps in. Mm. So we get all this I language. I will be your shepherd. I will rescue the sheep. I will feed them Feed them with justice. Mm. I will bring them to good pastures. So, I mean, it might remind people of, say, Psalm 23 and That's other right. passages. Um, but, again, something deeply relational about a God who will step in where human leaders have failed That's right. and have this direct Direct care, protection,
0: and sees us when we're at our most vulnerable. I mean, that's astonishing. It's very beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: So obviously, we're going to pick up some of this when we get to the Matthew reading, because the bit the lectionary skips is actually around God looking at the flock and and sorting them out. And we've got
0: perhaps some of that being played on in Matthew's gospel. But already here, and then if we move over onto the psalm, so if we're thinking about um, the, the kingship of God or the lordship of God, I know that's male language, um, we can use other, the reign of God. Yes. Um, the kind of reign is embodied in this extraordinary care and yep. wanting to guard and protect. So already we're getting hints of that and that's important as we think about other imagery for kings that are, are predominant in our culture, which are much more about yep. wealth and power and using powerful self rather yes. than four others. Mm.
1: Yeah, and I mean I think these sorts of passages are a bit like the Matthew one. Sorry, mm. I don't mean to keep jumping. No, go, go. But do invite us to sit alongside all those things we've just said about the God who becomes shepherd and is very attentive to the most vulnerable and marginalised, like deeply personal. Yeah. But the passage does end with I will judge between yeah. the sheep, like the yeah. fat sheep and the lean sheep. Um. You know, I'll judge between sheep and sheep. So there is a sense of I will sort you out, and I am watching, and how you treat Amen. each other within the flock. Is there are
0: consequences. Deeply important. Yeah, absolutely. And we yeah, we'll, we'll let's we're, we're champing at the bit together. <laughs>
1: Should <laughs> so we just go, go to the psalm next? Yeah, is just that, yeah.
0: briefly on the psalm. So it's okay. a hymn of praise. Again, it has this imagery, like in the background of of the shepherd. So we are the sheep of his pasture. So that sense of, I think it has this sense of we can relax. So, no matter what else is going on politically or within our families or whatever else, um, we have a God who actually cares for us. We are the sheep of his pasture. So, it's not when you think Mm of um, other imagery for God and goddesses. In the ancient world, quite unpredictable, often quite violent. This yeah. sense of actually, the creator of the whole universe sees us and cares for us, like a shepherd with his sheep. It's really powerful.
1: Yeah, he made us, and we are his. This like, yeah. And I, I do love these sums. I one of my bugbears at the moment, and it's probably you know, like many things you preach, it's a little bit pointed at myself. Mm-hmm. Um, is we're not great at the church, in the church, at being joyful. No. Right? Like We're we supposed to be communities of hope and love. and you know,
0: um, Sometimes I say, we often we use the psalms as a response in our opening yeah. prayer of praise. I'm like, you're allowed to smile. Yeah, You're, you could
1: actually. You can, like, <laughs> these are beautiful words. Make a joyful noise. Like yeah. worship the Lord. Be glad as you enter his gates. Like what does it mean to embody that joy? Amen. And I preach that to myself because I can tend to be a bit serious.
0: Yeah. And we get into habits and patterns. Oh, yeah. So I think that's a really lovely invitation to, to think about that. Yeah. Yeah. Don't be grumpy like me, people. <laughs>
1: Okay, Ephesians. So I quite like Ephesians. Yes, you said that, so yes. you can
0: do all the talking. Well, we don't know who wrote it. Probably not Paul. There's no personal greetings uh, in like other letters. Um, maybe it's a more general letter. Mm-hmm. Uh, some some of the original manuscripts actually don't have Ephesus in the in the greeting, so it could be just a more general. But I. I I think some of the imagery is beautiful. Um, And in this passage as well, there's some beautiful imagery, particularly the prayer for the eyes of your hearts to be opened. Mm. Now, that's gorgeous to my way of thinking. Yes. Um, and interestingly, that very same imagery is picked up in 1 Clement, which is a letter from the church in Rome back to the church in Corinth. There's this hymn in the middle of that letter in um, chapter 36 where it actually gives thanks that through this one, through Jesus, the eyes of our hearts have been opened. Mm. So at least a couple of communities are using this imagery and I think it it, it invites us into deep uh, thinking about the symbolic, in symbolic language about the, the transformation that happens if we come close to this Christ one. Like it's not just head knowledge, it's not just behavioural, it's something about our hearts being opened up in a new way. Yeah, So it's very yeah. beautiful, I think.
1: It is. And again, there's kind of joy and thanksgiving and yeah. gratitude and hope all woven in here
0: and it could um so it ends i assume the people who put together the lectionary have t- partly chosen this because it's christ the king sunday and it ends with this imagery of um all things being put under his feet so it's that mm. kind of sense of the throne and so on and i i i can feel an uneasiness within me and i can imagine others have it because it can sound triumphant and mm-hmm. uh that kind of sense of we're superior we have christ and he's on the throne and you'll over there don't but we need to remember that this text, whenever it's written, it's still early. Um, it's written in the shadow of the cross. Like Jesus experienced a state sanctioned murder, which yeah. was abhorrent, like so shameful. So the imagery of Jesus being Lord is right next to and intertwined with this understanding and it was the one who was killed by the state and who didn't retaliate. So our understandings of power are really um, disrupted by this uh, by holding together the life and the death and the resurrection. It's, it's when we are just cling on to one of those aspects that we can get lost. But if we hold those um, paradoxes together, so the one on the throne is the one who allowed the empire to humiliate. Yeah. And, and it is deeply... Um,
1: and I think we see this particularly in something like Luke's Gospel, but we see that the logic here too in this text in, say, verse 20, where it is only because of the death that Mm. there's resurrection from the dead Mm. and then the ascension to um, be enthroned, basically, to the right hand of God. So the enthronement, whatever language you use for that, of the exaltation of Christ. But that is all actually about overturning death, right? So... um, it's never removed from the vulnerability of death. That's right. But it is also a, a no to the worldly powers. That's right. That use that kind of violence and death. So this this language of authority and power and dominion, which, um, again, as Sally, you said, might grate on us a little bit, mm. um, partly because I think we like to pretend we don't have those things when many of us do, but Mm-mm. that's probably another thing. Um but in in this world, this is language for the emperor, and this is language right. for the state. So, to proclaim Jesus is above every name. Oh my word! This is also a political claim. This is about our God has done something amazing. That's
0: absolutely yeah. and and deeply political because we have emperors claiming to be divine or the mm-hmm. son of the divine, and so it has a direct challenge to. Uh, not just other religious groups but to the empire. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a massive thing to claim. It's really astonishing. And, again, if we think about, you know, people living in villages and, and cities where there are temples to all kinds of other gods and goddesses who do all kinds of things, like so much violence, yep. and we're claiming actually the God one is the one who endures violence rather than um, yes, doing violence. A like that's skull. profound. Yep. So that what does that mean about the texture of the rain? Well, it has to be, I would argue, Um, logically it has to be in line with how Jesus embodies power in uh, the incarnation, in the living and in the dying. It has to have um, congruence. And Mm. so therefore it's that same um, gathering in and lifting up like the shepherd describes in the secular, yeah. yeah. Yeah
1: and I mean uh we talked about this off air but where this particular passage ends is is Christ' head over all things for the church yes which is his body so a lofty calling right and again we're going to see this in the gospel part yeah. of what this calling looks like is the living out the vocation of Christ's um you know what what oh, what what does it mean to live out as the body of Christ of this sort of
0: Yeah, the fullness of him who feels all in all. I mean, it's such a calling for the church. I think if we could actually attend to this uh, call, which is also echoed in in Matthew, we could get free of so much of our preoccupations. As like are we embodying this um, astonishing compassion today? Have we we done that as individuals and as a church? Are we doing that? Yep. Are Are people getting a scent, like a fragrant, the scent of the kingdom? in our gathering and when we go about our week Mm. or not. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
1: All right, should we move on to the Gospel?
0: Yes, let's do that. Okay. So it's Matthew 25, verses 31 to 46, quite famous, quite singular in its telling. Mm -hmm. Do you want to give us a summary, Robin? Well, it's the classic – It's a scene of
1: judgment. Mm -hmm. That's what's imagined. Um, So this time framed as the Son of Man. So, uh, you know, messianic expectation was around the Son of Man. This is usually associated with a kind of a second coming, we might say, Mm. that that Jesus will return in glory. So here, language of glory, the Son of Man coming with all the angels and there's language of throne. Yes. So this is, again, we're in the realm of power and kingship and all of that. Um, And... All the nations, like notice this is not just Christians, no. this is not just Jews, this is all the nations are gathered before him. So mm-hmm. this is the son of man as Lord or king over the world, the cosmos. Yeah. And what follows is a scene of separation of people into two categories.
0: Based on their actions, yes. not on their doctrine.
1: Yes, I know. Not on what they believed about the Bible. No. Or not. Um so again, of course we're, this is kind of apocalyptic territory, right? It's it's a um, it's not quite a vision. That's that's the wrong word. Although we're being asked to imagine something mm-hmm. quite sort of visual, um, and the sort of background to this, there's scholars like Megan Henning who've written about this kind of work, and some of my scholarly work has been on this kind of stuff too, which is a, a type of rhetoric that paints a vivid picture that puts two paths before people mm, mm. so the kind of two ways and i mean in later christian kind of pietism this would become the pilgrim's progress yeah. if people know that story so it's laying out the kind of basic question do you want to be a sheep or do you want to be a goat
0: mm.
1: and because we're in an apocalyptic world those there's only two choices we're in dualisms here mm. you know it's like the day or the night um, a sheep or a goat. There's mm. no grey. <laughs> no. Like, <laughs> it's it's almost like
0: Charles Dickens picks up as well in the, the Christmas Carol, you know, that sense of what are you going to do with your wealth and your giving like yes. because it has such ethical implications for what we do with yes and how we treat the poorest, yeah. yeah.
1: And pr- again, this is, you know, at the end of these chapter 24 and 25 parables and, and sayings of Jesus, which are all about the kingdom and the future and looking at the last days. Um, and I suspect the twist here comes in – in what they're judged for, Mm -hmm. right? Like people would be like, yeah, we expect God to judge. Yeah, Um, But we usually, I think we being we, all of us. Yeah, humans. Mostly imagine that like we'll be on the right side and those other people over there.
0: (laughs) We love that game.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, And so we have explicit king language in verse 34. It's the king now who's judging. So the language has changed from son of man to king. Mm. Um, And when people sort of say, "What? When, when we? When when did we did see, we see you naked yeah. and sick and, you know, you, yeah. did, you did all these things? And he was like, well, it was when you did that to the list of these, you know, when, yeah. when you did this to other humans.
0: You did it to you, yeah, me. And that's exactly. the real kicker. I mean, that it's is the just kicker. astonishing that we actually might be um, not just encounter Christ or or the King in the other, but being encountered by like yeah. are we ready to actually get off I mean it's so bizarre that Christians have often so often become paternalistic like we'll take God to people or we'll do that for those people <laughs> yeah. when in this story, so I explicitly do this it says actually yes. when you're, when you're relating to other people at the very edges, you'll encounter me like yes. that's where you'll encounter me, I know, and that's such a helpful corrective, Sally,
1: because I think passages like this can be read, read quite sort of you know, simplistically as yeah. it's our it's our job to go care for the poor and the sick yeah. and all of that. Yeah. Which it is. Yeah. Right. Um, but in that one direction, like that charity yes. model way. Like yeah. when we do that, we're giving out of our abundance and wisdom and we're giving to people who have nothing. Yeah. And Jesus is saying, no, when you do that, you encounter me in yeah. those people.
0: It's just such an and amazing thing to be challenged that's by. That's the
1: source of your salvation and blessing.
0: Like, yeah. Woo, it's incredible, and yeah. so to actually be able to go into interactions, not thinking, "What do I have to do?" is like, how how might I be taught, or what might I learn in this interaction? Yeah. As, well as, as well as doing the serving, I think that's a really powerful thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. And to the least of these members of my family, yeah. And then, and then, there's harsh judgment, right? There is. In verse forty-one onwards, you know, you get away from me. Basically, yeah. it's like depart from me. You are out of my presence. Absolutely. So, if God's presence in, embodies this. Place of light and salvation, yep. um, you are, you know, Matthew will use language of outer darkness and That's right. um, torment and other there are vivid consequences. images. But there are consequences.
0: Now, I actually think increasingly at the moment, uh, but thinking about this uh, the last year or so, like there's a real word of hope in this and we, we resist it, particularly in the United Church. We're not keen on love. We're very keen on talking about love, not so keen on talking about Judgment. Judgment. That no, would be my perception. Yeah. Or evil, even. Like, I think even talking about evil can be scary for people. But I think we need to talk about it because if people are going through abhorrent suffering, if they have experienced violence, for example, just hearing about love all the time doesn't, it actually doesn't do that much. Like, we no. need to know that there is, I think, as humans, we need, well, I think there's a word of hope to be shared in in the proclamation that there will be consequences for yeah. those who do violence, for those who misuse their power and hoard wealth, for those who bully and misuse systems, there will be a calling to account. Like I think yeah. that's a word of hope actually. Um, and and it, I suspect yeah. people in Ukraine might think that too,
1: you know? Well, that's right. I think where people, um, it's uh, listeners might know I spend a lot of my time on the Book of Revelation, yeah. which has some similar kind of very harsh words of judgement for... Um, those who are in the evil side, and yeah, a very clear naming of evil. Yep. Um. But I think for minority oppressed people, yeah, this is—it's kind of cathartic, but it also gives hope. It that gives hope. God will address the absolute horrific injustice. Exactly. In a- some way.
0: Absolutely, and I and I'm all for that. Yeah, personally, um, in Ben Myers' <laughs> book, the little it's a great book, the Apostles' Creed, the yes, the catechism, yes, it's great Ben Myers, yeah. So he, he, there's it. It just goes through each of the sentences of the Apostles' Creed. I so encourage people if you're looking for a book to, um, maybe someone's exploring confirmation or baptism as an adult. Mm-hmm. It's a really great resource. But in the section on judgment, he he just has his. I remember this line saying, "It will hurt." It will hurt, like that, that yeah. sense of being refined, the weeds within us being pulled from the weed. Um, but it will also be our liberation because all the lies, all the self deception, um, will be drawn out of us. Yeah. And I and I think there's something so powerful about that. And I particularly, if we hold it into it in a different sense of time. So David Bentley Hart has some really interesting things to say about how we interpret language, like eternal punishment.
1: Yeah, we should talk about some of those images. Yes. I think we, um,
0: because that's not going to be good news if it's it's eternal damnation. Like I don't no. that, that isn't a word of grace. <laughs> yes. But yeah. he would argue for a reading that it's like the for the age of the punishment. Um, so there the t- that there will be a sense. of There will be a refining. Um, that that's my language, not his. I'm, he'd probably use um, clearer language. <laughs> um, but that all things will be gathered in uh, mm. ultimately, and and for me, like in Ephesians, there's another. Um, just before the passage we heard today, it talks about um, in Ephesians one verse ten, the plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in Him, heaven things in heaven on earth. So that's the ultimate goal of God. Yeah, but. That there could be a refining period along the way and consequences for those who misuse their power. It's holding that tension together, the both end.
1: Yeah, I think so. And I mean the other thing to say is from a kind of rhetorical point of view, mm. when you look at there there are similar ancient texts, both Christian and Jewish and non Christian mm-hmm. and Jewish, mm. Greek texts, um, so like the tabula of Cebes, that also offer this kind of two paths. Yes. Kind of so it was a known way of doing a kind of a moral instruction Mm. and one of the techniques used was to use very strong language and imagery of like vivid punishment sometimes fires of hell type scenes right Mm. it's not christians were not the only people to have this kind of Mm. um imagery in their arsenal um but it was designed to kind of scare people a little bit wake up right like it was supposed to say like this is the path you're going down, and it, it doesn't look pretty. Don't yeah. think you can get away with this. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I say that was with, he- with he- hesitation because I think now we would probably say that the current kind of fire and brimstone teaching that, mm-hmm. that scares people into faith is not helpful. Correct. Um, or at least it's not helpful if you stay there because I don't think faith should be based on fear. No, or
0: manipulation. No. or yeah, yeah, or emotional manipulation. Yeah.
1: But there is a sense that what Matthew's trying to do here is a type of rhetoric that is about emotionally manipulating you, emotionally persuading you. Yeah, and you I know. think, like,
0: I mean, it would be interesting to know – if there was, and it's a massive debates, so whether Pauline stuff and and stuff had interaction or not. But, you know, mm. for, for the author of Matthew, the emphasis on behaviour really matters. It's not just all yeah. grace. Like, yes, grace, but actually then change your behaviour. Yeah. You know, like it's an ongoing theme. Yep. And as you said before, the judgment here is not – I mean, we've got
1: to put this alongside other texts, mm. but there's very little in the New Testament, I would say, um, where judgment is based upon your doctrine. Yeah. Right or yep. your correct articulation of belief, yeah. it is usually framed around behaviour yeah. and particularly this behaviour towards others, yeah. um, which takes us back to um, Augustine, yeah, who talked right. about the goal of Scripture is love, both for God and, and for neighbour. And yep. if you are not, you know, if you read the Bible and it doesn't lead you to love your neighbour more, that's right. you've missed the point.
0: That's right. <laughs> go and back and have another go. And it also um, entirely enfolds along the themes of the Old Testament which are constantly again and again about caring for the vulnerable. So, you know, Jesus is Jewish and is speaking out of these these deep, deeply precious themes. Yeah.
1: So I mean we started with the the shepherds in Ezekiel and that had some of the same themes about people they're the leaders Mm. but being judged harshly by God for having failed in their duty precisely because of some of these things. That's right. And I think um, we can see enormous consistency of ethics uh, between that Ezekiel writing, even though very different time, place, yeah. culture, yep. and what Matthew's doing here around um, treatment of the most vulnerable, basically that's yeah. what we're going to be measured on in
0: this passage, at least. That's right, and and to and to do that from that space of grace, not from superiority. I know, because let's be honest, we all fail at this. As oh well. My word. Like, well, yeah. maybe
1: not. I don't, there are sort of saints out there in our communities, but I know I fail at this. Um, so yeah, how would you tie this all up, Sally? Any last thoughts as we think about preaching for this? Yeah, it's the good end question. Election year, is. right. So how do we? So
0: I I yeah. um used to not like this day because for me the la- even just the language of kingship and lordship was just so such an affront um, mm. that it was difficult. But I think and, and not acknowledging that it's a relatively um, new feast day, I think is probably important too. Yeah. But to to recognise that it's In in claiming Christ as king, it's a disruption of our notions of how power should be used and it's a disruption of empire-shaped or um, corporation-shaped thinkings around power and about that emphasis on using power for others, not being powerless, but using power for others instead of over others. So,
1: yeah. Excellent. I think you've said it. (laughs) it. (laughs) Go forth, everyone. By the Well is brought to you by Pilgrim Theological College and the Uniting Church in Australia. It's produced by Adrian Jackson. Thanks for listening.